We are in a series called Flip the Script. Flip the Script. And to flip the script is to reverse the expected, the usual, the existing positions in a situation. To do something unexpected, something revolutionary. Now, uh, Apart from God, we have a script playing out in our lives. And it's not as good as the script God wants us to have. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. God's script, the script that he wants to write for our lives, is better than the script we can write apart from him. And so as it relates to this sermon series, to flip the script is to rewrite your existing storyline that you're writing apart from God into something much better written with God. Last week, Pastor James talked about uh, going from being far from God to near to God. And, And apart from Christ, you are without God in this world. Your script has you as an alien, separated from God, far from him, and his people, and God wants to flip the script. He wants to rewrite it so that you are near to him, a citizen of heaven, a child of God, part of his glorious family. And what a difference flipping the script makes in that going from far from God to near from God, just a completely, it's a massive difference maker in your life. And uh, this morning, I'm going to talk about how God wants to move us from a life script of soul thirst to soul satisfaction in a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Now, there are nine uh, uh, sermons in this series, and so we're going to be looking at nine different ways God wants to flip the script in our lives. And uh, if we will listen and, and obey, our lives can be much better much fuller in Christ. Turn in your, in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 4. Uh, Jesus helps us flip the script through the story of his encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well. If you miss any of the sermons, you can catch them online at clearwater.church. You can download the Clearwater Church app. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the story, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. I'll read the story, and then I'll come back and we'll walk through the story much slower, and I'll bring the story to life, unpack it, and then we will zero in on exactly how Jesus is offering to flip the script in this woman's life, and of course, then in our lives as well. Are you ready for that? Okay. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Jesus at this time was ministering in Judea, in the capital city of Jerusalem. And uh, prior to Christ, John the Baptist was the, the big religious leader on the scene, the Pharisees are taking uh, close note of what's happening. They are monitoring uh, kind of the religious happenings of Israel. And all of a sudden, they become aware that Jesus is, is having a, a greater following than John. 
And that means that Jesus is now going to be in the crosshairs of the Pharisees' unwanted and often jealous attention. And Jesus says, I'm out of here. I'm going back up north to Galilee, where, which was usually or uh, most often the center of his ministry. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So I want to start in verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. Why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria? Well, geographically, it was uh, on the straightest route to Samaria. But it wasn't the only way you could go uh, to Galilee. Thank you. Samaria was uh, on, the, on the way to Galilee. But it was not the only way you could go. In fact, many Jews completely bypassed Samaria. 
because they had such animosity towards the Samaritans, they didn't want to set foot in their land. And so they would cross the Jordan River onto the east side and then go up and and recross after they had passed Samaria. So uh, Jesus did not have to go to Samaria because of a geographical necessity. He had to go through Samaria because of a a divine necessity, because God wanted to give a Samaritan woman and her neighbor eternal life. You know, there are people in our lives that we have to share the gospel with out of divine necessity because God loves them and he has a a gift for them in Jesus Christ and he has entrusted it to us to share that good news. And maybe it's a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker, a friend. But we have to be asking, God, do you you want me to be the one who communicates the good news to this person? And so, uh, so I love that. I love how God is orchestrating his, uh, his son's footsteps, sends her to Samaria so that this Samaritan woman would hear about his gift in Jesus. Verse, verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So who's Jacob? Jacob is one of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Jacob dug this well. This is not just any well. It is a historic well, a well dug by the patriarch himself. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which means it was about noon. Uh, assuming Jesus had started out at, uh, at sunrise. He, he'd been walking quite a bit already, and he probably was tired, and it's the heat of the day, and so he's thirsty. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, that's an interesting statement. Um, usually, women would come together. You didn't go draw water alone. That was sort of dangerous. Plus, you didn't go draw water at noon. Usually, you would draw water in the cool of the day, either in the morning or later in the afternoon. So to come by yourself at noon to draw water was uh, surprising. And I think it tells us something about the social situation of this woman. I have feedback. Yeah. Um, And I think what it's saying is that this woman um, is ostracized from her community. The other women don't want to be with her. And so she has to come uh, by herself in, in the middle of the day. And that's very probably uh, due to the fact that she is um, seen as a, a woman of loose morals. Don't hang around with that, that woman. Uh, I don't want you associating with her. But That doesn't seem to matter to Jesus, right? Give me a drink, he says. For his disciples have gone away into the city to buy food. Now, uh, most likely, they were carrying with them a skin of water and a rope with which to draw water from the wells as they're traveling, but they took it with them, left Jesus without. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? First off, I'm a woman. And in that day, you know, religious Jewish men didn't you know, talk in public with women. Furthermore, she is a Samaritan, and that's what the evangelist underlines here. She's a woman from Samaria. And there was tremendous ethnic uh, and religious animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. So that uh, John just flat out says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Samaritans were looked down on by the Jews. They were perceived as uh, religiously impure. The Samaritans were Jews who had married uh, Gentiles during the time in which uh, the Assyrians had transplanted uh, foreigners into their land during a time when, and when they'd been conquered by the Assyrians. So they were, uh, they were sort of not full Jews. They had mixed blood, and their religion was very syncretistic. They had taken the, the worship of Yahweh and combined it with with the uh, other religions, it was syncretism. It was impure, on, and that's the way the Jews viewed the Samaritans, as kind of uh, their bloodline was impure, their religion was impure, and they actually thought, if I associate with a Samaritan, they'll make me uh, ceremonially unclean, which is why many Jews actually walked around Samaria. We would, they would, didn't even want to be in their land, much less talk to a Samaritan and who in the world would drink water from a Samaritan's cup? Are you kidding me? You're going to get totally religiously defiled. And that's, so, and that's what this Samaritan woman knows. And so she is just surprised. Why are, I can't believe you're asking me this. Uh, but it doesn't seem to matter to Jesus, does it? And I think this says something beautiful about the heart of God. That no person is off limits or unimportant to God. See, Jesus doesn't see a woman from Samaria. He sees a woman who is created in the image of God, who is precious in the sight of God, for whom God longs to give a gift, a beautiful gift. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God. See, this woman, uh, she had no idea that life could be different. She had no idea that her soul could be satisfied, that she could be in a personal relationship with God, his spirit indwelling her, and, and, and his life being welling up within her like a spring. And because she didn't know life could be different, that life could be better, that life could be abundant in God, she, she wasn't even asking for it. And isn't that the case with so many? Maybe it's the case with you this morning. You're not even aware that life could be bit, uh, different. You're, you have no idea what kind of a gift it is that God wants to give you. And I think one of the things that God would want to do this morning through this, this uh, story is to open your eyes to the good gift that he has for you in Jesus Christ, this gift of eternal life. Because once you catch a, a glimpse of, of what God wants to give you and how good his gift is, uh, 
Uh, you will never be apathetic toward it again. <clears throat> uh, I was a missionary in Russia for a year. And when I was over there, I, my English teacher, no, my Russian teacher, was Lena Sidienka. And she had received many invitations to come to the United States because she translated for many missionaries. And I asked her one time, why don't you want to go to the, why do you keep saying no? She said, one time I went to uh, Japan and I realized life, other people live very different, differently than I do. She was from Far East Russia. This was mid-90s. It was pretty bleak over there. And she said, when I came back to Russia, I was discontent for months and months and months because I, all of a sudden I realized people live better than I do. And she said, I'm afraid if I go to the U.S., I, will, I won't ever be able to be content again. And I think that's, that's what happens. Once you taste and see that the Lord is good, you're not going back. But this woman doesn't even know that such a life exists. And as a result, she is not asking. And that's the way it is with so many uh, around us. And so we need to tell them what's available to them because they're not, they don't know. And as a result, they're not asking. But if, if she did understand the gift that God had for her and who Jesus is as the son of God, she would be asking him to satisfy her thirst. The woman said to him, verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, Sabrina and I were in Israel a number of years ago, and we drank from this well, and the water's good. It's good water. And so I, what I hear this woman saying is, <laughs> This is Jacob's well. It's like awesome water. He drank from it. It was good enough for Jacob. It was good enough for his sons. And you're telling me you've got water better than this? Who do you think you are? <laughs> this is like the best stuff there is. What could you possibly offer me that's better than Jacob's water? And so Jesus explains. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. So Jesus is saying, you drink from this water, and it'll quench your thirst temporarily, but just a little bit time goes on, and you're thirsty again, and you have to come back. But the water that I will give you, it will quench your thirst. You will be per perpetually satisfied. And you know what? That's the case with every uh, earthly well from which we drink. Satisfies us at best for a moment, whether that is uh, getting that job that you've been angling for for years or, or going out and, and buying the new, the new wardrobe, getting that haircut, going on the vacation you've been saving for and you finally go on the vacation having a child, getting married, on and on it goes. It's not, they're not bad things. They're, they're joys that the Lord uh, has built into his creation. But they don't satisfy us long term. They're temporary. They sort of cover over for a moment. The deeper thirst that we have, 
Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician, said that God has placed a a God-shaped void in the heart of every human. And God doesn't, that that God-shaped void can't be filled with anyone or anything other than God himself. And so no matter, you know, you are drinking from the wells of this world, you will be thirsty again. And we all know this. But Jesus says, I can satisfy you in perpetuity. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. In chapter 7, Jesus Uh, the the evangelist clarifies that he's talking about the spirit of God that God uh, places within the follower of Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the spirit of the living God comes and indwells you. And the spirit of God is like a spring within you, constantly bubbling up life, satisfying your soul thirst so that you are perpetually satisfied. So the spirit of God... Jesus uh, elsewhere clarifies the Spirit of God comforts us, counsels us, constantly confirms to us that we are children of God, that God knows us, He loves us, He hears our cries, He helps us. And the Spirit of God, uh, the same Spirit, that, the Spirit of God brought Jesus back from the dead. And that same spirit will bring us back from the dead to live forever and ever with God. And it is the the spirit of God that produces within us soul satisfaction. Uh, We walk around with a perpetual confidence and hope. We have the life of God within us. And where water flows in the desert, there goes the green grass and the trees and the fruit. The woman said to him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's liking the idea of not being thirsty, but she's definitely still thinking uh, on the earthly plane. And Jesus, of course, is talking about spiritual matters. And so he needs to raise her, raise up her chin, lift up her eyes. And that's why he says what he says next. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Now, Jesus, when he said go get your husband, he knew full well she didn't have a husband. Is he trying to be mean? Is he trying to point out her, her failures? No. He's trying to awaken within her an awareness that she thirsts for much more than just water. She has soul thirst. Why has she been with six men? Because she's looking for something, right? So, you know, I have to imagine she, you know, at some point she's a young uh, woman and she's single and she thinks, I'm going to get married, you know, and she falls in love and, and she, has, she gets married, why? Because she has hopes. She has thirsts that she wants satisfied. Maybe it's, uh, I want, you know, social standing because to be married was socially important in that day, more important than now. 
Uh, she might say, I want, maybe it was physical security, right? To be, to be married would uh, maybe uh, make her more physically secure. Uh, I want romance and maybe children that come from that. And so she gets married because she is seeking some, some satisfaction. But then it doesn't work out. And it was easy, definitely easier for a man to put uh, a woman aside than it was for a woman. So possibly or probably she was rejected. She's pushed out. So now she has dashed hopes. She's thirsty again. She's got the stigma of being divorced at that time. But she looks to man number two. Maybe he'll do it for me. And then three and four and five times she's been married. And now she's, she's with guy six, but guy six won't even give her his name, right? So her stock is falling. She's living with a guy, but he's unwilling to commit to her. What do you think her future looks like to her? Does, does she have hope of things getting better and better? Does it look like it's going to be more of the same or even worse? She's thirsty. We, we are all thirsty. And our thirst, you know, what it is that is, um, that we're, where we're looking to be satisfied, you know, can be different for sure. But all people who are not in a relationship with God through faith in his son Jesus, their souls are thirsty. And so we tap the wells again and again and again. But we still, we still get thirsty. It doesn't satisfy, it doesn't quench our thirst permanently. The woman said to him, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now she knows, or uh, else later in the story it tells us she went back and told her neighbors, uh, come meet a man who told me everything about myself. So there's more to the conversation than, than the evangelist uh, pens here. But apparently Jesus had told her things that she convinced her he must have divine knowledge. So sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. The Samaritans uh, had established a, comp a competing temple. So uh, the, the temple in Jerusalem was the temple that God had um, ordained, and that's where he was to be worshipped. And the Samaritans, they put up a competitive temple at Mount Gerizim, which was actually right where Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And in, in fact, the, the temple ruins might very well have been in the background as they're talking. Uh, about 120 years before Jesus is having this conversation, when the Jews rose to power in the land, they went and destroyed the competitive temple at Mount Gerizim, which, if, as you can imagine, didn't, didn't make the Samaritans happy. And so there had been this ongoing religious debate as to where Yahweh needed to be worshipped. Samaritans said Mount Gerizim. The Jews said Jerusalem. So what's she doing? Here's what I think she's doing. I think she's saying, hey, I, I acknowledge that you are a man of God. That's clear to me. But you are from a totally different religious and, and ethnic um, background. So I can't go with you. I would have to, I would have to 
uh, forsake my, my um, ethnic identity. I would have to f- forsake my uh, religious faith tradition. I can't go with you there. What do you have for me? Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The, re- the old religious debates uh, and tensions are going to be unimportant. Verse 22, and here Jesus does, he doesn't shy away from, from the religious fundamental question. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So G- Jesus doesn't say to her, you know, hey, all religions are equal. You know, he, f- he flat out says, uh, the Samaritan worship is not rooted in knowledge. It's zeal without knowledge. Um, God, ha- God is saving the world through the Jews. Our worship is, um, is inspired by the revelation of God. And so, you know, Jesus, does, Jesus would not say all religions are equal. All people who are sincerely following the religion are going to heaven. No, God has a plan to save the world, and it's through his son, Jesus. So then Jesus challenges her, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I think Jesus is saying to this woman, don't let your your uh, cultural background, your faith tradition background, keep you from a relationship with God, right? The Father, your Father, my Father, your Creator, He's looking for people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. If you want a relationship with God, you've got to come to Him through His prescribed way. And elsewhere, Jesus clarified that when He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want a relationship with God, you, you come to him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Don't let your cultural background, you, don't let your earthly family keep you from your heavenly Father. Now, this has tremendous significance when you're talking to a Hindu or a Muslim or a Buddhist, or somebody who grew up in an atheistic family or an agnostic family. And I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, you know, you can't come to, you can't be my disciple unless you hate your father and mother. In other words, you have to value your relationship with God more than you do anything on earth, including your own family, which is very important to us. But it's not worth Don't let your earthly family uh, keep you from a relationship with your heavenly father. And if you want a relationship with your heavenly father, it must be in spirit and in truth, which the Bible is very clear, comes through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, as a Christian. Which is why Christianity is an exclusive religion, which we know is not, uh, you know, in line with the spirit of the age, but it certainly is the teaching of the Bible. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. 
I think this is the woman's final attempt to, to push off a decision and not have to say yes to Jesus and the radical life reorientation that would involve. So what she's saying, I think she, what I hear her saying is, this has been a very uh, stimulating conversation. Uh, we have, you have raised uh, some theological ideas and wow, I didn't expect this coming to the well today, but thank you. And uh, someday the Messiah will come and, and he'll explain it all to us. But until then, who are we to, who are we to decide these things? Right? An agnosticism. We, we just can agree to disagree. We just can't know. And so therefore, we don't have to decide anything. Thank you. Take my cup and I'm leaving. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What are you going to do with that one? <laughs> you just acknowledge that the Messiah is coming to explain all things. I'm the Messiah. And I just explained to you. God has a gift for you. Living water. Eternal life. Do you want it or not? Flip the script. The woman comes to the well with a script, a life script. And what do you think that is? I think her life script is, uh, I'm unlucky in love. I have got a, a, a string of broken relationships. I'm uh, looked down on by the people of, of the village. I'm the, the woman of loose morals. Nobody wants to hang out with me. The guy I'm with won't even give me his name. Things are probably not going to get better for me. They're only going to get worse. I believe there's a God. Does God really know me? Does he care about me? What's my relationship with him? Bottom line is, her script is, I am thirsty at so many levels, and I despair of ever being satisfied. That's just, that's my lot in life. And it's not going to change. If anything, it's going to get worse. And what's the script that Jesus is inviting her into? It's a script that says, God loves you so much, he sent his only son out of the way to come meet you face to face. God wants to put his spirit within you. He wants to take away your sins. Remove them as far as the east is from the west to give you the righteousness of his son Jesus so that you can be confident that you've been reconciled to God, that he loves you, that he hears you, that he claims you as his own, that he'll always be with you, he'll always listen to you. And when you die, you're going to go be with him forever and ever. And God even gave her a tremendous a purpose in life. She was the very first person in the town to meet Jesus. And she had the privilege of introducing the rest of her town to Jesus. Because the story goes on. She went back to her, to her village and she said, come meet a guy who told me everything about myself. It couldn't be the Messiah, could it? And the villagers came with her. They met Jesus. They asked him to stick around for two more days. Many of them put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so all of a sudden she's, you know, she's sort of the hero, right? 
She was the first to meet Jesus. She introduced us to Jesus. Now there's a, a church, and she's got brothers and sisters in Christ who love her and her. She's got a community and a family. Jesus invited her into a completely different and better script. So she has a decision to make when Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, and I'm offering you God's gift of eternal life through me. Do you want it? Would the script of her life be better to take Jesus on, it, on his offer? Yeah. Absolutely. And what about you? You know, as Christians, we really do possess the greatest news on earth. And there are thirsty people all around us who need Jesus. And God wants us to share the good news with them so that they can be put in a position where they can make a choice to have their souls satisfied. Let's pray. Lord, we love your word because uh, you are communicating through your word uh, your character and your good plan for us. And you invite us to respond to you. Through your, through your word. And so, Lord, what a, what a beautiful uh, story of you um, reaching out to this Samaritan woman and inviting her into eternal life with you. And, Lord, through the story, you are inviting me and everyone in this room to let your Holy Spirit produce your life within us to satisfy us, Lord. And Lord, there are many good wells that you have given us from which we can drink and have temporary satisfaction to add to. But Lord, may we not make the mistake of thinking that that's where we'll be satisfied. It's in you that we find permanent soul satisfaction. We love you. Thank you for making this all uh, possible, Jesus, by your obedience to the Father's plan, even to the point of death. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.